I want to welcome you to Meadowland Church. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here and excited because this morning we are starting a brand new journey into God's Word. We're going to be studying the book of Jonah. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bibles, turn on your Bibles to the book of Jonah this morning. If you're using one of the Bibles that we've provided for you, we're going to be on page 774. Um, in your Bible, uh, Jonah should be between Obadiah and Micah. It's a small Old Testament book on my Bible. It's on page uh, 3 or 935, which probably isn't helpful at all to anyone, but just in case you wanted to know. Um, and so we're going to be in the book of Jonah this morning. would love to have you there. Also, if you don't have a Bible, if you're here this morning and you go, hey, I don't have a Bible, feel free just to take home that Bible out in front of you in the aisles. That's our free gift to you. We'd love for you to I'll be able to take that home. We have plenty, so please uh, feel free to take that one home. So as we begin uh, diving into the book of Jonah, one of the things that's interesting about uh, the story or the life of Jonah is for the most part, most of us, if we've grown up uh, going to church, if we had parents who read us Bible stories, uh, most of us know some of the story of the book of Jonah. We know some of the accounts of Jonah's life. In fact, there's probably some of us here that have the idea that Jonah's really a kid's story, that when God was taking time to put together the Bible, he wanted to make some room for the children's ministry and the children's ministry teachers, and so he created the book of Jonah so we could talk about this really great prophet who gets swallowed up by a big fish and, and survives, and it's a really fun story. Um, and it is kind of a fun story in the sense that really big, miraculous things like that happen. But I also think if we slow down a little bit, and if we truly take time to investigate God's Word and what He's trying to say to us, I think we find that there's a little bit of Jonah inside every single one of us. In fact, as we really begin to understand um, what God is saying to us and revealing to us in the book of Jonah, I actually think there's a, a whole lot of room for you and I to grow and for you and I to see the way that uh, maybe we're like Jonah and the ways that we can respond to God and grow closer to him. So this morning, as we kind of begin this, this study or this journey together in the book of Jonah, let's get past the, the kid story and, and really take a look at what God is trying to communicate to you and what he's really trying to communi- communicate to me. So let's jump right in. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amanitai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, before we go too much further, I want to take some time to kind of break down some of the key names and some of the key places uh, that are going on in this story so that we can really understand um, what's happening here. Uh, Jonah is the key character in the story. This is true that uh, Jonah's a real guy. He's a prophet. And by prophet, we mean that all throughout the Old Testament, God would choose usually men to speak through and he would reveal his word to them. And then he would say, hey, you're my prophet. You, now, you go now before people and tell them what I've told you. That's what would make a, somebody a prophet in the Old Testament. And we know that Jonah's a prophet. Uh, Jonah's name means dove or peaceful one. And we know that most times people actually don't refer to Jonah according to what his name means. Uh, Most people refer to Jonah by what he does in the book of Jonah, that he'd be the reluctant prophet, that he would um, be a little bit hesitant to do what God 
has told him to do. Uh, really trying to be specific here, the scripture reveals to us and gives us a little bit of his genealogy. It says he's the son of a manti, and his name would mean truth. And so literally by name, by genealogy, Jonah would be the son of truth, the peaceful one. And the reason that's so important, I think, is because as we begin to investigate Jonah's life, we see that what happens is, is when God shows up and speaks to him, Jonah doesn't act according to his namesake. He doesn't even act according to his genealogy. Because what God does is God tells Jonah that he wants him to go to Nineveh. Now this is really important because Nineveh is the capital city in Assyria. And if you spend enough time in the Old Testament, if you spend enough time in uh, kind of the history of Israel, you know that the Assyrians and the Israelites are really enemies. They go toe-to-toe in battle all the time, and the Assyrians would be the greatest enemies of Israel. Now, there's another piece of that, that they're really, really wicked. They're, they're really, really evil people, that when they go to, to war, um, they like to kill relentlessly. They like to torture, plunder, rape, and murder. And in fact, historically, there's accounts that what would happen is, is when the Assyrian army was going to go to a place that they thought they could easily conquer, a place that they thought, hey, we don't really have to go to war, that they would send a small battalion of troops ahead of time who would set up camp outside that city or outside that village and, and give them the opportunity to either flee or commit suicide so that they never had to go to battle. And what we see throughout history is there's times that the Assyrian army shows up and whole towns would commit mass suicide because they thought that would be better than facing um, the Assyrian army. One of the things they were known for is they would torture their male victims, um, usually by burying them in the sand. If you've ever seen movies where they bury people in the sand, the Assyrians did that. The difference is is they would would pull out a guy's tongue and then stake the tongue in the sand, and they would literally go mad of thirst before they would die. After that person died, they would then take all the heads and stack the heads up in a pyramid outside the village just to say, we were here, like, and we did what we came to do. So the only reason I tell you this is because this isn't a really great place, and these aren't really great people. That um, This is a wicked, wicked people who do horrible things and really go against God's people. Now, this is why this is important, because Jonah is being told by God, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to the enemy of your people. Jonah's a Hebrew. He's an Israelite. And he goes, listen, I want you to go to the other side. I want you to go to the camp of our enemy. And I want you to tell them that their wickedness has come before me. And what God is really communicating to Jonah is, I want you to go communicate to them that they need to change, that they need to turn from what they're doing because I'm going to give them an opportunity for salvation. I'm going to give them an opportunity to be spared. And Nineveh, and Nineveh is this horrible, horrible place that I think Jonah would rather see be destroyed. And this is what we see right off the bat in the book of Jonah. Is that rather than listening to God's word, Jonah disobeys God's word. That rather than doing what God's told him to do, Jonah decides to do it his way. He wants to do something completely different. And see, I think you and I have a little bit of Jonah inside of us. Because like Jonah, I think the word of God is clear to you, and the word of God is clear to me. In fact, I think the word of God is just as clear as it is to us as it was to Jonah. That we have the opportunity to hear God's word 
clearly. In fact, if you're here this morning and said, how in the world would I ever hear God's word? Well, it's this. It's the Bible. That when you and I open up God's word, the scriptures, that what scripture says about itself is that it's his living, breathing, active word. That every time you and I spend time in the word of God, we have the opportunity to hear his voice. And not only does God speak through his word, but he speaks through his Holy Spirit that he would uh, communicate truths and communicate his word to us. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is he would remind us of truth, that he would make truth clear to us. And maybe if you're a believer, you've had this experience before where out of nowhere you think of a Bible verse, maybe something you haven't read for a long time, maybe a verse that you've never even read before, but maybe you're in a situation or a circumstance and all of a sudden this verse comes to mind, you look that up and that was really exactly what you needed to hear. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Not only that, but God speaks through our circumstances. There's times in our lives where God leads us through the things that we're going through in our lives. And see, we have a God who loves to speak to us. We have a God who loves to communicate with his people. And God's voice, God's word, is just as clear to you and I as it was to Jonah. Because Jonah 1.1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. That Jonah heard God's word clearly. And I think you and I have the opportunity to hear God's word clearly. The question is then, will we do what he says or will we deny what he says? Every time you and I hear God's word, we have the opportunity to say, will I be obedient and do what he says or will I disobey and deny what he says? And the reason we talk about this, the reason this is so important is because not only do you and I have the opportunity to hear God's word, but usually when we hear God's word, God will often, excuse me, God will often ask us to do things that we do not want to do. Have you ever had that experience as you interact with Scripture that usually what God commands us to do or what God says is the right thing to do is usually what we naturally don't want to do? And so as we read God's Word, as we begin to hear His voice, it seems as though there'll be times that God asks us to do things that we don't want to do. And usually we wrestle with this because really we have this thought that maybe we know better than God. That maybe his ways aren't really better than our ways and maybe his plans aren't better than our plans. Maybe we have the right answer and maybe he has just an okay answer. See, every one of us thinks that we know the right answer. Let let me prove it to you. You guys like ice cream? Everybody like ice cream? So, So here's the question. Chocolate or vanilla? Which one is better? Just hold it to yourself. Think about it. I'm going to ask you to weigh in. Chocolate or vanilla, okay? All you chocolate ice cream lovers, go ahead and raise your hands. Testify your love. Okay, see, some of you were nervous. You looked around. You want to see where? Okay, go ahead. Vanilla? Vanilla lovers? Kind of a split room. That's okay because the best answer is strawberry anyway. See, I knew <laughs> better than you. So, you know, and all of us feel that way at some point that maybe we know better. And this is what God says to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. He says, arise, which means get up. Let go of this place, go from where you are, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. This is God's command to Jonah. He says, listen, I want you to go from where you are, and I want you to go to Nineveh, and when you get to Nineveh, I want you to call out against them. I'm going to give you a command that I want you to go say to them, and the reason I want you to say this to them is so that they can turn from their ways, so they can believe in me, so they might be spared. And you have to ask the question, why would Jonah, who's a prophet, 
disobey? Why would Jonah, who's a prophet, tell God, I, I don't want to do these things? And I actually think there's a couple core reasons that Jonah disobeys. The first one is, is I think Jonah had a lot of fear. I think Jonah was experiencing a, a lot of fear in his life. I think it was a very valid point. thought to himself, okay, you want me to go to the enemy's gate, knock on the door, enter the enemy's city, and then tell them how wicked they are. This does not seem like a good plan. Like, it seems like they will kill me because, after all, that's what they're known for is killing people. So you want me to go to the murderous Ninevites, tell them how bad they are, and this is going to work out for me, which not only did he have fear, but I think Jonah had a lack of faith. I think he said, that, God, I don't really tr- trust you in this. Like, I don't know if I put my confidence in you. I don't really know if this is the right thing to do, and I'm not sure that I'm going to make it out of this thing alive. So uh, I'm fearful, and I don't know if I have the faith to pull me through. I also think Jonah had a lot of pride. I think he thought God missed the mark with this one. And I think what Jonah really thought deep down is that he knew better than God knew. That he needed to help God modify this plan. That maybe God made a mistake on his desire. And I think the reason that Jonah was so prideful is because really, Jonah was so hateful. I think Jonah hated the Ninevites. I don't think Jonah wanted to see them spared. I think they wanted, he wanted to see them destroyed and punished and judged by God. And see, so when you kind of combine all those things, the fear, the lack of faith, the pride, the hatred with the anger, when you put that all together, I think it actually became a pretty easy decision for Jonah to instantly disobey God. Because he had all that stuff going on in his heart, because he was wrestling with all those things, I think he said, you know what? God, I don't know if I want to pull through with this. I don't think I'm going to go the way you want me to go. And this is what I would offer for your consideration. I think you and I have some similar stuff going on in our lives. That for whatever reason it is for you and whatever reason it is for me, that when we hear God's word, when we hear God's voice in our lives, that we would choose to deny him. That we say, hey God, I don't know if I really want to do that. I don't really know if I want to do it that way. That maybe my way is a better way. Maybe my plan is a better plan. Maybe you've been deeply wounded by someone. They've hurt you and caused you a lot of grief. And you open up God's word and it says that you should forgive. And you go, but God, I don't know if I want to forgive. Like, I don't know if that would really work out for me. I don't know if I'll get everything that I deserve or at least I feel like I should get out of this thing. And what if I forgive them and what if they hurt me again? And you go, God, I don't know if I want to do it. God, I don't know if I want to follow through on this thing. Maybe you've heard the truth about tithing and being a good steward of your money, and you go, God, like I, I see what your word has to say, but I don't know if I really want to do that, and should I really, and can I? And we begin to look at other ways and talk to other people and go, but did he really say, and did he really mean, and should I? And you become disobedient. Maybe you're in a dating relationship, And you're doing things within that dating relationship that God says that should only happen in the context of marriage. And you go, but God, listen, listen, but I love him or I love her so much and I feel like we're married in our hearts, so really it's okay. And you begin to justify and tell God all the reasons that your disobedience should be okay. Maybe you're exposing yourself to stuff on the internet that would be sin or maybe emotionally in a relationship outside of your marriage, you're exposing yourself to someone else. 
And you go, but God, can I? And is it really? And what culture has to say? And we become disobedient. In fact, for some of us like Jonah, we think, well, maybe, maybe I will do it, but I'll do it later. Like, God, I, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but can I do that another day? And God, I know I'm supposed to not do this, but can I just do that another day? And God, I know we shouldn't, but could today be okay? And see, I want to offer as much grace as, as I can because I, I get it. Like, there's times that I've been in God's Word and He's communicated things to me and I've gone, I really don't want to do this. And so we ask the question is, how long, how long do we get to respond? Like, when does our delay become disobedience? See, like, I think the only way I really know how to answer that is from the heart of a parent. And if you're a parent, you wrestle with this, too, because deep in your heart, you know that when you tell your kids to do something, the question is, how long is it that until their delay becomes disobedience, right? And, like, I'll just be honest with you that, like, I just kind of snap into mode with, with my kids, and I think this is because my parents did it, so I just did it. But I'm a counter, and I don't mean to count, but I just count, so I'll tell my kids to do something. And then I'm like, one, two, three. Hey, what I really told my kids is you have three seconds to disobey me before something happens. Like, I'll give you a three-second head start on your disobedience. So I'll give you a three-second head start on your window. And I would tell you this, I'm just being honest with you, like, my kids never responded until three. I'd be like, I want you to do this, one, and like, we got plenty of time. Because here's also what all you counters know. Every single one of you that's a parent, you count like this. You go, one, one and a half, I got to go get the mail out of the mailbox, okay? When I get back, we're going to pick this thing up, you're right? You go out to the mailbox, you come back, you're like, I said I'm back in the house. I'm about to, one and three quarters. And, and like, eventually you get to three, and all we've told our kids is there's a big window of disobedience. And see, when does disobedience really become disobedience? And see, I think delayed obedience is always disobedience. And the problem is, is we get, we've become really, really good at it, haven't we? In fact, I think sometimes we get really over-spiritual about the way we handle God's Word, and it's just spiritual disobedience. That we would hear God's Word, and we go, oh, you know what, I just need to pray about this. I need to, I gotta pray about this. He goes, so wait a minute, wait a minute. So when God Himself communicates to you through His Word, your response is, God, I need to talk to you some more about this. And you go, I just got to pray. And I go, but God himself just spoke to you clearly through his word. What else is there left to say? And see, really what we do is we go and we say, hey, we need to pray about it. What we're really saying is, God, I want to negotiate about it. And so we get these moments where God shows up and he says something to us clearly, but it's something that we don't want to do. And we begin to argue with God and try to manipulate God and try to negotiate with him. And so God says, go to Nineveh. And we're like, did you really say go to Nineveh? Can I just get outside of Nineveh? Can I shoot Nineveh an email? Text? Can I rent a plane with a banner that will fly over? Like, God, can, can I, like, can we pray through this some more? Or, or we'll be like, hey, I got to talk to some other people. And I, I think both of those are good, but we sometimes use those 
to activate disobedience in our lives. And when God shows up and speaks to us, we're like, hey God, I know that you spoke to me and I know what your word said, but here's the thing, I need to ask my friends. I need to know what my friends say because you know what's really important? I know what you say is kind of important, but what's really important is what they say. So I need to know what they say about what you said, and I'll get back to you. Delayed obedience is always disobedience. And I heard a, a quote from somebody describing what they were calling spiritual maturity. Or what does it mean to be a mature believer? And they said you can always judge the maturity of a person by the lag time between the command and their obedience. You can always judge the maturity of a person by the lag time between the command and their obedience. That there's something to say about the moments that happen between when we hear God's word and when we respond to him. And the longer that period is, it reveals some things about us. And see, the reason we have to talk about this is because just like Jonah, I think whenever God communicates to us, whenever he commands us, whenever we hear his word clearly, I think every single one of us will always have the opportunity to find a boat that is heading in the wrong direction. So Jonah hears from God clearly, God commands him to do something he doesn't want to do, and the next thing that Jonah does is he finds a boat heading in the wrong direction. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Tarshish is 2,500 miles away from where Jonah's supposed to be, most scholars say. And in this day and age, by boat, it would take him more than a year to get there. See, Jonah's saying, listen, I need to get a little bit of distance. I need to get as far away from God as possible, and I at least need to get as far away from the capital city of Assyria as possible. And the further I can get between us, the less God can command me to do what he wants me to do. Now, I think this is really interesting because sometimes we say really cute Christian things that aren't Christian at all. And if you've said these before, I love you, just stop because they're not biblical. But we'll say things like, you know, sometimes when God closes a door, he opens a, another. Somebody get real cute and go, sometimes when he closes a door, he opens a window. And you go, where in the world did you find that one in Scripture? Like, because I think most of us would look at this in our situation and be like, this must be God's will. I have an opportunity. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. Like, I don't want to do it. And you know what God provided for me? A boat. And the boat's leading so far away that, like, I can't possibly go to Nineveh if I can make it to Tarshish. It's a year away. And if I can make it, if I can get at least one year there, it would at least take one year to get back. That means two years. And you know what? You know what? I don't know if God will wait two years. And so if I can get to Tarshish, maybe he'll pick somebody else. Maybe he'll do it another way. Friends, God has provided for me an opportunity to do what I want to do in my heart because when he closes a door, he opens a window. And I would tell you, this is not God's will for Jonah. God has made his will clear. I want you, Jonah, son of truth, peaceful one, to go to Nineveh, the capital city, and tell them their wickedness 
has come in front of me. And rather than arising and going to Nineveh, Jonah arises and flees from God. Now, one of the things you could do this week, if you're really interested, if you, if you read Jonah chapter 1, the whole thing, the author of the book of Jonah uses this phrase over and over and over again that Jonah went down, that Jonah went down, that Jonah went down. And like Jonah didn't go down on a ladder. What they're saying is that each step of the way in his heart, Jonah got further and got further and got further away from following God. And that with each step was an active rebellion that he went down and he went away and he went further away. And see, the reason this is so important is because some of us are running from God here today. That you've heard what God's word says. You know what his will is. And maybe the thing that he's commanded you to do, that thing that's so fresh for you, you so desperately do not want to do that you've run from him. And for some of us, listen, for some of us, maybe that's even salvation. That you know that God's calling you, you know that God wants to save you, you know that he wants to do a work in you, but there's this piece of you and you're going, listen, but I just want to party. Like, I just want to do it my way. I at least just want to do a couple things. And so I just want to wait a while. I just want to get a little bit of separation between us so that when I'm ready, so maybe when the blood pressure gets a little bit too high or maybe when I think life is drawing near, then I can give myself to God and have him as fire insurance. But for today, I want a little bit of separation and I would just offer you this thought. Just as much as running from God did not work out for Jonah, running from God will not work out for you. And some of us are running. Now, some of us are running, but some of us are just drifting. Uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to get a free pontoon boat. And just remember, because I love you, you always get what you pay for. And so I have, I have a theory at this point in my life. There's no such thing as a free dog, and there's no such thing as a free boat. And so I got this pontoon boat that I was really, really excited about. And I, like, I, I should have known because I was, I was pulling it back to my home from where I got it, and it blew out two tires on the highway. And I should have just put up a for free sign and left it. Like it wasn't registered in my name. There was no way to trace it back to me. Like I could have just blessed somebody with a free boat. But instead, I paid some guy to come put new tires on, and it was quite expensive. And, and so we got the boat home, and we'd made some adjustments to, to the thing. We got it ready. And, and people, my, my friends, named the boat for me. They called it the Crap Tune. And, and I thought it was probably a worthy name for it because you kind of prayed. I mean, it was a faith builder. If you were struggling in your relationship with Jesus, I took you out on my boat, and we put it in the water, and we just prayed, Dear Jesus, you walked on water. Keep this pontoon boat afloat on water. And like everybody else on the lake had really nice boats except for, except for me and, and my pontoon boat. And people made fun of me all the time except for our church had a fishing league and I entered my boat in the church fishing league and we won. We took it that year, okay? The fish loved something about that boat. I don't know what it was. I think they thought I was going to sink and they felt bad for me. But anyway, one day I went out with a friend. He was showing me 
the sweet spot in the lake. It was kind of this, this place between two rocky areas. And he said, here's the thing. When we get the boat out there, we got to set anchor because we, we don't want to drift at all. And so we got out to the spot, and we threw the anchor out. We were fishing, and we were like just nailing the silver bass, got a couple walleye. It was a lot of fun. And all of a sudden, I looked up, and I noticed the boat wasn't where we left it anymore. Like there's all houses along the shoreline, and the house that we set anchor at was over here. And we were heading this way, and we're having so much fun that we didn't even notice. And so I said to, I said to my friend, I said, hey, I don't think we're, we're supposed to be, I don't think we are where we're supposed to be. I think we've drifted. And he said, yeah, we got to check the anchor. And see, there was nothing wrong with the anchor. The anchor worked great. The problem was the anchor wasn't attached to the boat. So when we threw the anchor off with the rope, like the anchor did exactly what it was supposed to do. The problem is the other end of the rope wasn't tied to the boat. So the anchor was right where we left it, and we retrieved it. I mean, it was, it was right where we left it. The problem is we just kept drifting. And for some of us, maybe that's part of our story. Is that it's not that we were so much actively running from God, but maybe over the last weeks, months, years, we've just been drifting. Maybe we've gotten to a place that we never thought we would get to. At least we never intentionally wanted to be. Maybe the Fahrenheit of our heart isn't as warm towards God as it once was. Because some of us are running, and some of us are just drifting. Now what's interesting about Jonah is that God sends a storm to get Jonah's attention. Sometimes God does send storms into our lives to get our attention. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Don't miss this. This wasn't that there was already a storm brewing. This wasn't that the tropical winds were already coming in. The Lord God, the creator, master, and commander of all things, hurls a storm onto the sea where Jonah is. And the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break apart. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will forgive, or excuse me, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now here's one of the things we have to understand, just real quick, is the guys Jonah are with aren't believers. Like these guys aren't even Israelites. In fact, what we see is these guys are, are by every term that we could use for them, pagan. And so what they believe is in all kinds of different gods. And so they start freaking out. These guys are seaworthy, salty sailors. They, they, they do trips that are year-long trips to one destination. They haul cargo. And this storm is bad enough that they start freaking out. And in fact, the storm is bad enough that they dump their cargo, which is really bad for them because now they're not going to make any money. They, they, they got rid of the thing they were carrying to Tarshish to save their lives. And it's so bad that they're calling out to any god possible. 
any God, didn't matter who it was. And I think the first one that would respond to them, they're like, okay, he's the one, just keep calling upon that name. And so they go down and they find Jonah. And this is the whole thing. You need to come up here and cry out to whatever gods you believe in because you might find the magic combination. Like, you might know the one. And by the way, why are you sleeping? This is a big deal. We might die. And you know why I think Jonah was sleeping? Because I think he knew this was his fault. I think, I think Jonah knew, like, hey, I better just get a cat nap because I have no idea what's coming next. So let's carry on. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? The sailors are grasping here. They're like, who are you? Who's your mama? Who's your daddy? Where you come from? And what did you do to make this happen? This is really important, verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Don't miss what Jonah says to them. When they ask the question, who are you, what have you done, and why is this happening? This is Jonah's answer. Because I'm a Hebrew, I'm one of God's people. In fact, I fear him. Now the word fear here is a big word. In fact, if you use the NIV translation at Meadowland Church, we use the ESV. But if you use the NIV, it says, I'm a worshiper of him. And see, that word fear means I, I have a reverence, I have a respect, I have a love that I live my life in accordance to this one that I fear and that I give my respect to. Jonah goes, hey, the whole reason this is happening is because I fear the God of heaven. I have a relationship with him because I've given my life to him because I worship him. That's why this is happening. And you go, is it? Like, I think we can ask the question at this point, like, Jonah, are you really a worshiper? Because you're doing everything that God told you not to do. He told you to go to Nineveh, and you said no. He told you to give them an opportunity for salvation, and you said no. And then it says these men knew that he was fleeing from God because he told them that eventually he made the correlation of the reason this is happening is because I claim to fear him and because I claim to worship him. And the reality is, I'm not. See, I think one of the biggest problems with the church in America today is we have a lot of people who are cultural Christians. People who say, hey, I'm a Christian by name only. But there's no real relationship with Jesus. There's no real obedience to Jesus. There's no fruit of Jesus in their lives. That we have a nation of people who claim to be saved by Jesus and that they give, him, they give their lives to him as their Lord and as their Savior and that they live for him and that they worship him and that they do everything that he commands them to do at least to the best of their ability. And I go, but I think we're filled with a bunch of people who claim to be Christians by title, but not by word not by thought, not by action, and not by deed. 
See, we're never called just to take on the title Christian. That you and I are called into a relationship where Jesus would be both our Lord and our Savior. That he would save us from our sin, but that he would also be our Lord. That what he says goes. That we would live in reverent respect and fear of him. That we don't treat his word like suggestions. We treat his word like commandments. And that because of that, because of our relationship with him, because of the salvation that he's given us, because his Holy Spirit is at work in us, that we wouldn't look like the world, that we would be in the world but not of the world. And Jonah is on the ship with a bunch of pagan sailors, and he goes, you know who's the problem here? Me. That really I'm not that different than any of you guys. I claim to know a God, but in word and thought and deed, I do not show a love, a respect, or an obedience to him. In fact, at this point, what the sailors know about Jonah is the best thing to do is get him off the boat. Like, I would argue that Jonah's evangelism strategy is not the best. Be really, really disobedient and let people see your disobedience so that they might fear God. And what the sailors know is, hey man, we don't know what, what's all going on with you. We just know that we can't continue to go down this path with you. Let's keep reading. Jonah chapter 1, verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men roared or excuse me, rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Our private rebellion always hurts others. Your private rebellion and my private rebellion always hurts other people. See, at this point, Jonah thinks this, this disobedience, this rebellion against God is a him thing, that it only affects him. You couldn't convince the sailors of that. Jonah's on a boat full of people who are going, we're going to go down. We've lost the money we were going to make through our business because your rebellion, because of your disobedience, because your lack of faith and confidence in God, we're all affected by this thing. And that's true for all of us. That when you sin, it doesn't just hurt you. And when I sin, it doesn't just hurt me. And when you rebel against God, it doesn't just hurt you. And when I rebel against God, it doesn't just hurt me, but our private rebellion always hurts others. And Jonah has put these sailors in an incredibly difficult position. Because not only is their ship sinking, not only have they lost their money from the cargo, but now they fear that they're going to have to become murderers because of Jonah's rebellion. 
that they're in this position that to save their lives, they have to grab Jonah and throw him off the ship. And the reason they have to grab Jonah and throw him off the ship is because Jonah's still not manning up to his responsibility. Instead of just doing a cannonball off the side, Jonah says, you want me off? Throw me off. If you want the ship to stay afloat, throw me off, and that way the storm will die down. And these sailors begin to cry out, and they go, God, listen, you, we don't know what he did, and we're not really sure about this whole thing, but you set the storm, and this must please you, and he's telling us, he told us he's a prophet. Your prophet's telling us if we throw him off the side, you'll stop trying to sink our boat, and so we really want to throw him off the side, but we don't want the blood on our hands. Like, we don't want to go down guilty. We don't want to get to the shore and be arrested for throwing Jonah off. What are we supposed to do? So they decide to throw Jonah off the side, and instantly, Scripture says, they make an offering to the Lord. A sacrifice to say, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for taking this man's life. And Scripture says they made vows to him. I believe these sailors became God-fears after their experience. Not because of Jonah, but because in that moment they felt the presence of the Almighty God. That in all their years of sailing, they had never seen a storm like this one, and something had to be divine. And so when he threw Jonah off and the storm recited, they knew there was something holy and something significant. And as Jonah gets dumped into the sea and he feels the cold, salty waves on his skin, I imagine he was afraid. I imagine Jonah didn't know exactly what was going to happen next. And if you use your imagination, you kind of get this idea that suddenly there's some sort of big fish, big enough to swallow a man. Maybe there's multiple, I don't know, but swimming around Jonah's feet, he sees that there's something out there. And even though the movie Jaws had not been made yet, I think in Jonah's mind, he heard, and the next thing you know, he's in some sort of fish. What we begin to discover is what Jonah's nightmare being thrown off the boat and swallowed like a big, by a big fish was actually exactly what he needed. And maybe some of the things that we're facing in our lives that are our greatest nightmares, maybe those are the things that we need the most. Verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now this first chapter of Jonah, we could look at this and go, man, what a harsh God. Jonah disobeys. Jonah gets on a boat. God almost sinks the boat. Not only does God almost sink the boat, but then God sends some big sort of fish to swallow up Jonah. And you could read this and say, what a harsh God. But I see it a different way. See, I read the book of Jonah, and I see his life, and I see his story, and I think, what an awesome, loving, merciful God do we have. Because even though he's in the belly of a whale, what God is giving him is another opportunity, another chance. 
that God is choosing not to treat Jonah according to how he deserves, but rather God is pursuing Jonah so Jonah could come back to him. That he's pursuing Jonah so that Jonah might be in relationship with him. That he's pursuing Jonah so that Jonah still might be a part of God's will to see all kinds of lives change, including Jonah's life. And so instead of treating Jonah according to how he deserved, God sends this big fish to swallow him up so that Jonah can come back to God. So that Jonah can come back to where God wants him to be. See, I think we have a God who gives us all kinds of chances. That we have a God that offers us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to come to him and to come back to him that he would give us another chance. And see, if you're here this morning, maybe it's because God wants to give you another chance. Maybe you've been running. Maybe you've been drifting. Maybe you've just been disobeying. But our God is a God who gives us a second chance. And the greatest second chance that you and I could receive is that which we receive in Christ Jesus. That he would live for us and that he would die on the cross for us to take our sins and that he would rise from the grave so that we might have truth and resurrection and life and the hope of eternity, that we could have joy in the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That rather than being treated by a God in a way that we would deserve, we receive grace. That you and I cannot out-sin God. That you and I can't even hop on a boat to Tarshish and try to flee from him, but he pursues us and he comes to us, and sometimes he sends a storm to get our attention, and sometimes he sends a big whale, or sometimes he just uses circumstances or peoples or opportunities like this one this morning to say, come back to me so that I can love you, so that I can restore you, so that I can make you mine. In fact, every first Sunday of the month at Meadowland Church, we take communion together. And communion is really a celebration that we believe in Jesus, that it was by his body being broken and by his blood being shed that we might have life and forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Christ and the hope of eternity. And when we take communion, we, we proclaim that we believe in him, that it's by Christ and Christ alone that we live and that he is our king and that he is our Lord and that he is our Savior. As we prepare to take communion, maybe these Questions that are appropriate for us today. Are you running from God? Are you running? Have you drifted from God? Are you drifting? Have you heard his word but are denying it? Because maybe the whole reason God has you here today so that he could offer you a second chance, another opportunity to come to him and experience his salvation. See, maybe you go, I am running. Maybe you say, I am drifting. I am denying. What would be the very first step that I would take? And I would say it would be a step of obedience. Say, God, I believe in you and I trust you. And I will no longer run, 
from you, but I run to you. And I will no longer deny your word, but I will begin to do your word. Scripture maybe says it best in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. It says, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. God, I do praise you that you are the God of second chances. God, and I pray that you this morning would deal with us as you have dealt with Jonah. God, that you would maybe respond to our sinfulness, respond to our running, respond to our drifting by offering us another opportunity to come to you for life and for forgiveness. God, and I pray that you would use the circumstances of our lives and maybe just call us, even in this moment, to return to you, God, and that we wouldn't allow fear or anger or hurt or hatred or pride to prevent us. God, for seeing you for who you are and experiencing the love and the mercy and the grace that you have offered us. God, I praise that you do not treat us according to what we deserve, but rather you have grace upon us and treat us with love, with compassion, and with undeserving, holy grace. God, help us to respond to you this morning as we take communion and worship you for who you are. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.